I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hallå, det här är Kan du skruva lite? Det är er en podcast som handlar om gitarr. Till nu så har vi stort sett dekt liksom norska gitarrister inom för pop, rock, blues, såna genrer. Idag ska vi snacka med en sydafrikansk gitarrist som har specialiserat sig på att kombinera klassisk gitarr med västafrikansk kora musik. Kora är er harpe med uh, en hemstränga. Han spelar helt sinnsykt med kompositioner men som spelar massa melodier det är er otroligt uh, vackert att på. Jeg snakket med han i høst når han var og spilte under Oslo World Music Festival. Jeg håper at dere tar tid, har tatt dere tid til å høre på det, for det er helt vanvittig lærerikt og fint. I dag skal vi snakke med Derek Gripper. What's this? Okay, I guess we're rolling. Cool. Derek, Derek Gripper, welcome. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Uh, have you been to Norway a lot of times? I have. I, I worked um, here with um, Andreas Ursa, mm-hmm. who um, I don't know if you're familiar, but he is a, a wonderful guitarist uh, coming from the fingerstyle tradition, steel string uh, tradition, and he took on uh, Norwegian fiddle uh, music and translated it to guitar and also to his kind of it's a eight string so four course guitar yeah. um that he, that he plays and had specifically made for him to play this music tuned in fifths uh to approximate the kind like of a violin, violin tuning yeah so we've worked together for a number of years and I've, I've went up to Trondheim to work with him um to do concerts together and we played the transform festival last uh, as a trio with uh, debashish Bhattacharya from india north indian slide guitarist nice <clears throat> okay so you're so you're kind of familiar with the with the whole uh, uh, climate and stuff oh my gosh <laughs> yeah it's just it's vicious it is it's vicious yeah it's a bit better now but uh, yeah. it's, we're getting yeah, there you can say what you yeah, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so cool you're here uh, for the uh, Oslo World Music Festival uh, and uh, you're performing uh, uh, as we're recording you're performing tonight yeah that's right in Oslo and that's a solo show solo show and yeah. you've been here for a couple of days yeah I got here two days ago yeah and, uh, I was teaching a master class at the university yesterday oh nice yeah so I guess uh, a lot of people have heard you here, but also there's um, a lot of people that's n- that's not uh, that familiar with your uh, uh, work. Yeah, I'm sure more of the latter. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I guess uh, maybe we can just uh, start uh, real quick with uh, uh, maybe you could explain a bit around the guitar style that mm. you're currently sure. yeah that you've been working with for okay. some years now so I play classical I'm a classical guitarist by training and um, I became fascinated in about 2000 um, by a, one album by a, a chora player called Tumani Diabate the chora is a harp lute so it's it's a harp it doesn't have fretted you know it doesn't have a fretted neck but it has a it has a bridge like a lute and it has 21 strings, 21 string harp, which means it's basically three and a half octaves like the guitar. Mm. And then Tumani especially, um, you know, the traditional chord playing is pretty interesting, rhythmically, cyclical, 
amazing music with very uh, fiery uh, you know improvisations Tumani's version is a very um, unique uh, he 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 brings in like you know bass line and then he has accompaniment and then he can have the fourth diamond so so i heard this music and i was i just thought coming from cape town south africa playing classical guitar music this has all the elements that one would want in guitar music you know it's it's cyclical and it's got this whole like trance element to it but it's also complex and virtuosic and contrapuntal and everything but i you know i thought probably you need to build some kind of guitar for it because you know to keep a bass line going and then to have these melodies on top uh you know how, how could you possibly do it and so I, I put it aside as a project but i i was composing a lot of music so i, I wrote music with some of the the kind of sounds you know that, that that they do on the on the chorus mm. and but then in around 2011 2012 i started to realize that i could see that this was a composer and that i could play his music like another composer so i started transcribing his music retuning my guitar finding tunings that worked and really specifically honing in on on what he was doing and kind of learning the pieces really and and that got me into a whole you know completely different guitar style really and a whole different way of playing and approaching the instrument, approaching improvisation, uh, and everything like that, and I've yeah, I've ended up with a, a, a very large repertoire of, of African music of uh, by great virtuosos um, from other instrumental other instruments, you know. Wow. Um, but playing but playing it in a classical, you know, playing with the technique of classical guitar, but also changing the classical guitar technique because obviously there's much more groove, there's much more like, you know, punctuation and and things going on in this music than there is in traditional classical guitar music. Absolutely. But how do you feel about the... Um, you know, that's often like a thing if you play in uh, in like a uh, more popular music content. If you play with like a uh, orchestra playing, you know, the dotted eights and all that, as, as, uh, it can be difficult to uh, kind of get the whole uh, groovy thing going with, uh, with an orchestra. Did you have to, do you have like a background from other uh, musical styles other than classical? Or was it like a whole learning process for you to... to no, I had uh, a background of different styles. I, I was playing uh, bass in bands. I was playing class, classical violin, piano. I was playing classical guitar. I was listening to, you know, a lot of different music. I, I studied uh, South Indian classical music in Chennai, mm -hmm. in India. I studied especially the rhythmic... Um, um, solkatu, they call it the, the vocalized rhythms oh, yeah. that they learn, um, you know, gatam and, and the, inst the percussion instruments in the south. Um, and I also spent quite a few years exploring the music of the Western Cape around Cape Town, the rural rural areas, and um, composing new music with this as a basis. Uh, my first album is called Sachtefle. It's uh, I was playing viola on that album with a string quartet and a trumpeter called Alex van Heerden. And we, yeah, we created like a, a minimalist avant-garde take on, on, on the music there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, nice, so you have, so it wasn't like a, a big thing for you to try, try to kind of like recreate the swing or the feel of No, the, the feel was all right, yeah. It was just a yeah. big thing to work out with how to find the notes on the guitar, you know? Yeah, of course, but how do you solve that, uh, like tuning-wise? Do you tune very differently now or? Yeah, so I tune differently. Um, you know, I, about a year before I was doing it, I was playing a lot of Spanish vihuela music from the 1500s. They have this incredible tablature music. You know, I don't know if you know about it. Yeah, it's kind of just barely. Yeah. It's, it's like a lute tradition. It's, well, it's, it's a guitar tradition in the sense that it's a guitar-shaped instrument, mm -hmm. but it's a 12-string kind of guitar. So it's, it's, yeah. it's six courses. But what's amazing about the vihuela is there's, there's a tradition of tablatures of seven composers that survived their complete works. And their guitar tabs, like you find now, oh, yeah. except some of them, except uh, the earliest uh, composer, but the rest, the, the later six, the tablature's upside down, so the high string's at the bottom. So it's right. a mirror image, <laughs> you know, when you're looking at the score, the bottom string is the bottom string on your guitar, you know, so that's, that's the bottom of the page, and that's the top of the wow, page, that makes like, sense. like on the guitar, wow. you know, it yeah. makes total sense. So I taught myself to play that, use that, play that tablature, and I spent 
a lot of time. So they, they, their tuning is, um, their tuning is, uh, so if we take it from standard, they take the, the F, the, the G is down to F sharp. So you get that. What's interesting about it is it's very simple guitar music. It's all first position. Mm-hmm. I'm using a capo now, so that you know, because it's a smaller instrument. Yeah. Um, it's all it's all first position, and it kind of uses the guitar like a harp. You always stopped strings are always referring to open strings, and it gets this kind of really resonant type of playing and and music, and obviously the flow of the of the of the notes because you always have an open string to hammer on, hammer off, you know. So I was playing a lot of that, and then I suddenly hit upon uh, a slightly altered tuning uh, through a few other tunings, um, which was this tuning and then dropping the D. Mm-hmm. And this gets gets the Chora tonalities, which is basically a Lydian scale. Yeah. Or major. And then they have about four chords. So there's the first one, which was like, would be like a D. A D chord, but we're we're hearing it in F now because of the capo. Um, and then a B, C sharp, all the fourths. So you have those basic chords, and then you can get a, you can, those two same scales coming out of this note. Ah, oh, yeah, right. Or so four four modes, two tonalities, two keys. And and it worked in this tuning very well. And then so I was able to. The first one I transcribed was called Tubaka, mm-hmm. and it, um, I, it I took many 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 hours writing writing little like one note at a time, you know. And I finally finished it, and it turned out it was originally a guitar piece before it was a chorus piece. <laughs> it was. Yeah. So wow. I was kind of reinventing, but it's a it's a beautiful piece. It's got it's got a, quite a complex harmony, and then this melody going over the top. Is a, like a constant improvisation, almost or constant ornamentation of the. It's a really interesting um, style, and yeah, so that's been developing, and that's what I do. And you've been doing that since uh, like the early two thousand two thousands. So I was playing, I was playing classical guitar, and uh, and then I started. Then I decided, no, I don't want to be playing this music. You know, it's irrelevant to me. And I, I, I was playing an eight string guitar at the time. <laughs> okay. Um, it had a high A string and a low B string mm-hmm. for fan frets, and you played it upright like a cello with an N pin. Yeah. You know, um, it was a system developed by a, a Scottish guitarist called Paul Galbraith. So I made my first album on that, and I, I, I wrote a series of very simple pieces based on Western Cape music, which is very cyclical, um, diatonic, uh, sort of trancey kind of music. And I, I wrote these, you know, pieces that were kind of a little bit you know there were one was influenced by Takemitsu the Japanese composer mm-hmm. and yeah and so I, I did that on eight eight string guitar then I um I, I really wanted to find a better guitar and I ended up getting this guitar it's uh, made by Hermann Hauser in uh, Reisbach Germany right. the Hauser family became famous in the 30s because Hauser made a guitar for Andres Segovia mm-hmm. and Segovia played all of his main concerts sort of 30 years um on that guitar on that and it's guitar, now at yeah. the Metropolitan Gallery in New York 
And this this guitar is made from the same piece of wood as, as houses, and it's a it's a special kind of um, design that is a for the first time ever the Viennese school of guitar making, which is very separate school of guitar making, and the Spanish school fused, because Segovia gave Hauser his Ramirez and said measure it, copy it, and make this guitar. You know, so he made a guitar. He made ten or fifteen guitars over ten years. And eventually gave him one that Segovia said, this is the guitar of the epoch, you know, the greatest guitar, because it had the soul of the Spanish guitar, but it had this Teutonic engineering behind it. So it was, it was, you know, it was in tune and perfect and, and all, all, you know, balanced. And it had this ability to project in a concert hall because Segovia didn't use amplification and he was playing to up to 3,000 people. Just without know, any miking. Without any miking. Yeah. So it has this amazing <coughs> ability. What happens is all the overtones, um, all the overtones gets focused into the actual sound. So often when you play a guitar, you hear this like bar of, of, of harmonics. But this guitar, it's very clean. <laughs> you don't, you're not hearing anything on top. Everything goes into that sound and it somehow creates this forward you know, motion. And then what happens if I play two notes, you hear this kind of rumble. And it has, it has wonderful, very subtle qualities, which when amplified, paradoxically, become really incredible you know so i've taken i've taken it into the amplification realm you know and yeah so that's what i've been playing ever since and i i I made two albums of my own music like that and a few collaborations one with a tabla player from india and one with uh, a double bass player and trumpet player from south africa and then in 2012 i released an album called one night on earth which was Mm -hmm. the music of tumani diabate balakesi soko ali farakature arranged for six string guitar and I actually six months before that I did a, a, a record of music by myself and also Egberto Gismonti the Brazilian guitarist translating his ten string guitar music onto six string yeah wow but that, what's the what's the what's like the the main difference though between the the Spanish and the German tradition if you go in hey if you look at those Viennese guitars I mean they don't look like guitars they're like they're like steam engines. I mean, they look the weirdest looking things and they've got a totally different design and they had, they're actually a lot like a modern electric guitar because they had, they had adjustable necks. Some That's of them, right, you know, yeah. they had truss rods and they had things and they've got a different kind of joint and the sound is very different. It's not this open, sunny, round sound. Smaller bodies, lower actions. Uh, yeah. Cool. But when you're in the, uh, when we're into the, Oh, classical world. Um, you tune to like a different, uh, uh, differently than the normal like 440, or do you? Oh, that's a mis. Uh, you know, I have. It's not per- on purpose. I've had people writing to me and saying, you know, there's all these people who, con- who talk about 440 is not the right resonance of the cosmos. It's supposed to be 332 or something like that. Oh yeah. And I had a guy who wrote to me and he said, your album <laughs> One Night on Earth is tuned to 332, whatever it is. I can't remember now. And you know, is there any you know reason behind that? And yeah, the other reason behind that is I have a tuning fork that I got when I was six, when I did my first violin lesson. And a tuning fork got a bit of superglue on it because I had superglue in my guitar case for nails, you know, sometimes. So the superglue made it a bit different sound low, I think. And that's just why I was just using the tuning fork and it was out of tune. <laughs> I think. And maybe also the capo also pushes it out. So yeah. uh, I'm not really concerned with the pitch. I'm, con- I'm more interested in the temperament. You know, so with guitar, we're really stuck with equal temperament. And equal temperament came about so that pianists could modulate into different keys without having to retune. Yeah. You know, and it's a very new thing and it's a very Western centric thing. And <laughs> sadly, now, you know, 90% of Cora players have a guitar tuner attached to the Cora, which is crazy because the Cora doesn't modulate. So there's no reason except to play with a guitarist or a pianist to tune a Cora to equal temperament. And really, the beauty of the Cora is every tuner every musician had his own idiosyncratic tuning and the resonance and, and you know that, that's all kind of gone anyway I, I, I tried to get down go down that road I studied the the music of Harry Potch American microtonal mm-hmm. just intonation composer um, and I designed the guitar it was an eight string guitar with movable fretboards um, so you could take the fretboards off the magnets, and I had I had a thirty-one tone equal temperament fretboard, which is a fretboard that most approximates um, a, an overtone system over the fifth overtone, because we we use the fifth overtone as our kind of generating system, and that's the harmonies that we use. But the seventh overtone is a whole new sound, and the eleventh is a whole new sound, and so 
yeah, I experimented with this, but you know, the problem, the problem with that is that you end up destroying the actual architecture and sound of the guitar, which is very simple. Yeah, so, it is. And especially now, this guitar that I'm playing, obviously I can't pull the fretboards off and, <laughs> and also it would just ruin it. And so I, I make do now by, I tune the strings slightly differently, I think, um, not consciously, but if I checked with the tuner, they'd be wrong. And I also bend, I bend a lot, change the pitch a lot, you know, but all just, you know, kind of intuitively. But I'm stuck pretty much close in equal temperament. Yeah, yeah but it's nice though. I just heard, when I just heard through the different albums, just like kind of back to back to kind of mm -hmm. hear the difference. It's just, either I just, I just find it really refreshing that it, it's, it's obviously that you, it's not too much of a concern for you you just yeah. it's kind of like I don't care I just <laughs> yeah. play the yeah and it's also nice to have like the the tuning fork which could be like a, I remember one guy told me about the Richie Blackmore he put like a an extra tuning peg or something on top of his uh, yeah on top of his uh, Stratocaster head and everyone was just like what is what, what's the thing about, what does it do what does it do And one of the guys in the band had to ask him one night, just like, okay, I'm sorry, I have to ask, what's the tuning base? Just like, you know, I have to have something that people should ask me about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just to have like a... Uh, well, I took the super glue off the tuning fork now, so my next, my next album will probably be in, in, in 440. Okay, but then, you'll, uh, <laughs> then people will write the new mails too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I've lost touch with the cosmos. But is I'm that like team. a big thing in the classical world, though, uh, to ha that like uh, the pitch has become yeah, be higher correct. and higher? Uh, you know, I had an years. interesting conversation with Hauser about this. This is my guitar maker. I, yeah. I visited him recently to pick up a guitar for, for a, a, a friend of mine. And he said that the pitch of the instrument, because you know guitars, the body, the body has a pitch, right? Mm -hmm. And that is tuned by the maker. <laughs> I don't know how it works with steel strings so much, but I think it's kind of like the same. You can tune. Them. Yeah. yeah. You, so, so the body of my guitar is just around G, but slightly off a G. So you don't want it to be the actual G because then you get these boomings. So they, do, it's a, but it's around G. Um, and he said that in, you can actually see the bodies of the guitars going up and down according to like the kind of collective stress around the makers. So he said, and his family has been making guitars since uh, like 100 years now. Mm -hmm. And he's, he, he told me like through, you know, the German history and the war. And then it went up, went up to G sharp. And then it went down and was F sharp before the war. And, you know. Really? And, wow. uh, you know, so that's interesting. That's really interesting though. Shit. <laughs> okay, well, that's cool. That's good. That's, like, that's really nice. And extremely nerdy info, though. Yeah, so I mean, he's like, uh, you couldn't have a complete geek out with, with, with Herman because he, you know, he's he's a third generation builder. Mm -hmm. His grandfather designed this guitar. So him and his father and his grandfather have been making this particular guitar with three or four variations for 800 years. Wow. And he said to me the last time I visited him, he rarely went in detail in, in, you know, into the, the process. Like he showed me the, a bridge and he said... Yeah, my, my, my grandfather or my father showed me how to make this bridge and they said it would take an hour and a half. And that's how long it still takes me today. And I still get up every morning and I start at eight o'clock and I finish at six. And that's what I've been doing with my father and my grandfather. And, and the wood is stored up in the roof. He's still in the same workshop. He's still working on his grandfather's desk, which is a special kind of French desk, which comes out so the guitar can be held. And he's, I'm still looking for another one of these because they're very difficult to find. And all the wood's up there and he is collecting wood now for two generations ahead. Oh. So he is using, my wood was from his grandfather. And maybe he's using wood from his father sometimes, but then my, my guitar is one a year. He makes a special edition with this, with this old wood. Do they go really well? Here is the 14 number from there. Yeah. So there, so, so, and now his daughter is making guitars, Katrin Hauser. Oh, and wow. she's making incredible guitars and mm -hmm. the Hauser is the most copied classical guitar um, out there and nobody can get that sound those things I talked about how the overtones work how the mm -hmm. two strings ring together there's something that they're doing there and how, Katrin's guitars already from her first guitar which I played has it already so they have some little voodoo family secret which they're not letting on 
and when you ask him he smiles and t- changes the subject <laughs> so it's a, it's a wonderful place to go they, the machine heads were made by the Reichel family who've just retired now but they're handmade as well okay um, does he have like a storage of those as well no he doesn't so now he, they're being made by Scheller I think mm-hmm. okay so he's that's changed yeah um, I just actually had to, uh, because I re- I do a lot of retuning mm-hmm. and also quite extreme retunings, so I wasn't oiling the the cogs ever, oh. and and my cogs actually wore down completely until they just snapped. The cogs got thinner and thinner until like a knife, and then it's one day they just snapped off. Wow! And there were no cogs, and luckily he actually managed to phone the family and they found some in the workshop for me, and so <laughs> I managed to get them going again because otherwise I would have had to replace the. The, the machine heads so now I'm trying to oil them <laughs> but that's so nice though just like in the in this old world though, like extreme factories making millions and millions of yeah he makes cars. 13 or 14 a year oh that's and so his beautiful. father what's interesting is he's made 13 or 14 a year like his father and his grandfather said no more than that the, the price is also the same yeah which is crazy you go speak to this guy the, the tradition the woods the thing and you think he should be charging so much more because it's it's you know but yeah. the price is still with with obviously with inflation yeah so this tradition is there in every aspect of what they're doing in a way and he's just stuck with that so no more than 14 no journeyman working for him or anything like that he's got an assistant and obviously his daughter making separately uh but it, it's it's a wonderful you really every time i go there i get a i like get this jolt of wow okay i'm playing this guitar I'm actually part of this amazing tradition and this incredible thing which is really just on another from another planet yeah it's from a complete another planet what they what they're doing and the kind of attention to detail and then I just forget about it and I have it in my guitar case and I bang it around and I play it (laughs) you know and when I go to him you know for at least three or four hours afterwards I'm very careful with my guitar (laughs) and I treat it really nicely (laughs) because he always gets cross with me (laughs) but do do you only bring that guitar when you Travel. I only have I have two I have two guitars at the moment. Um, I have this guitar, um, and then I have a Hauser three as well. This is a Hauser three, um, which is a ten string guitar. Okay, yeah. And I, I got it uh, a few years back because I wanted to play the music of Egberto Gismonti, who plays ten string guitar, but he uses high strings on the on the thumb side. So he's got a bass and a high and a bass and a high, and then a standard six. Oh, like treble yeah. treble strings. Yeah. So you can do these wonderful like ostinatos but in the trail mm-hmm. and I haven't been playing that guitar because this guitar took me over 10 years to play in you know I mean it, it, it sounded incredible when I got it but it was it was perfect and it was clean and you know precise yeah. and sometimes that was irritating and now I've played it in and it's completely changed and so every time I pick up the 10 string I just go oh my god I can't do this again you know I can't go through this process again it's like bring. it's like you know you're you know, it's like your child is 15 and they're about to leave home and then suddenly you have a new baby. I was no, send it away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's so so cool when you play, like, I guess, I, I imagine you play uh, quite a lot of shows uh, during a year. I don't know how many uh, shows you yeah, play. Yeah, I'm doing like 60, 70 a year. Yeah. yeah, and it's so nice, like, after a couple of years, if you only play, like, one instrument. Yeah. What happens then? Because like the whole guitar yeah, tunes differently, oh, and it's, it's the whole you, you kind again. of get to know that you can just tune it slightly if you hear it yeah. falls out of tune, and then ah, oh, no, a, it's a long-term relationship. It and, is, and it's and it's one of the more successful ones that I've had. <laughs> I've made a lot of you know like totally different things on this guitar, and I listen back and I think wow, and I see pictures, and it's changed. The colors completely changed. It you know it's uh, everything's and it's. Yeah, that's kind of what I, I feel like. I play this guitar more than I play guitar. You know? Like I, I don't know what I, you know. I, it's a very specific instrument, and you have to spend two or three weeks with one of these guitars to really understand what makes it different. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. You, know, you really have to, it's very subtle things. And now if I pick up a normal classical guitar or, you know, even if it's a wonderful maker, 
I can't play it. I'm like, oh no, you know, no, and it's, everything's not there, you know, that I'm used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's, right. that's my thing. I, you know, I, I thought I could play another guitar and the 10 string would be great. And, you know, obviously there are resources and musical resources. And I still, I get excited about it when I'm on tour and I think, oh, when I get home, I'm going to do that. And I get home and I pick it up and I fix it and get the strings going. And then I play it for three minutes and then I put it back in the case. <laughs> but it's uh and also uh, that's the whole uh, the practical side of it you know, when you travel if you do like a lot of songs on that guitar you always have to bring two as well no i would never bring two guitars no, no. bringing one is bad enough <laughs> no i would just play one i would play yeah. one I would but play you one. tune a lot during shows as well do you yeah like, yeah, yeah. But I guess uh, you talked about like the generations of uh, uh, guitar makers. Uh, another thing with generations is like the whole Cora uh, mm. or the African, uh, what's it called, Jolly or the yeah, the Jolly, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the, the or the Griot. That's amazing tradition, amazing. Uh, which I guess uh, Tomani uh, Diabata he. He's like, I don't know, I just read somewhere that he's like the 60th or 70th yeah. generation or something. It's just like hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, that's not, that. it's not true. Um, he's not, it's not, you know, he says it's the 70th generation of Cora player. He's probably about a third generation Cora player mm -hmm. because he's, was, his grandfather was, I think, the first in the family to play the Cora. Okay. Yeah. Um, but there's this myth. That's that's you know he's also you know encouraged, yeah. but he's a, he's ob he, he is very likely a griot from from that long, you know um, it's not possible to to say, but, you know, um, but it's a long tradition. I mean the griots you know in the family Diabate they've been griots for hundreds of years. Yeah, and the griot is if you if you can just like uh, kind of like sum it up in like a small. It's, you're basically the griots are like the. They differ from sort of a troubadour or something because they have a very specific role in society as a as a matchmaker, peacemaker, history keeper. They they tell you who you are, mm -hmm. you know, and their job is to know the history of each family name, and to be able to sing that family name um, at a wedding, at a social gathering, wherever. So they will be attached. They would have patrons, and it's a very complex patronage system which runs inside the griots. You have you know higher griots paying down to lower griots for the lower griots to sing the history and names of the higher griots mm. and up to the patrons who are not griots so there's this hierarchy all the way down and everybody has to support them the people below them and if they don't they it's they cursed you know it's it's they've really sewn up the music industry hundreds of years ago and we should really learn from them yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know and the, and sure you can download my album for free but you may find that you know yeah <laughs> It's so nice so they, that's what they are and so you um and you, you you're born into a griot family and you learn the music you hear the music all the time and you end up playing or singing or whatever it is that you do and you usually learn from an uncle not your father but you yeah and it's passed in the family and they, they're specific families that are griot family mm -hmm. the so that's why you'll see a lot of you know you'll see the same names coming up because those are the families of musicians yeah bach is very similar in this in bach's time If, if a church musician died and they put an advert out to look for a new church musician, they'd say, we're looking for a new Bach. Because there were so many members of the Bach family who were working in churches and that it was like, it was the name for, you know, it was a griot name, you know. And the griot names are Diobate, Sissoko, you know, and that's, you'll, you'll hear them coming up. Nice. And it's not Kriate. all like chorus players. It could be like it's no. a, a variety of different instruments. Chorus is the newest instrument mm -hmm. of the griots, besides guitar, which is now a griot instrument as well, but in a yeah. different style to what I play. Um, Balafon is probably the oldest instrument. It's mm -hmm. a xylophone. Um, that's definitely probably the oldest. And then Ngoni, yeah. uh, which is like a guitar-like fretless lute, um, dugout lute, probably the ancestor of the banjo. Yeah, um, that's one of the older ones. Cora is probably two, three hundred years old in its present form, but those types of hunters' harps were from were really happening. But you know, in the twenty-one string one that is popular now is, is a more recent one, which is why you know there's not seventy-two generations of Cora players. No, 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 of course, because they're not seventy-two <laughs> generations of Cora players anyway. I get it. Okay, that's interesting. Have you worked uh, on a lot of other stuff than than core music? Like, have you uh, like studied uh, Goni music or worked with players of different? I haven't done much in Goni music because it's hard. To, you know, it's hard to find solo and Goni music. Mm -hmm. um, that really, you know, the core music that I've transcribed is from a very small group of really unique players, like Tumani Balake, and and 
generation older. The last album I made, Libraries on Fire, was three generations, the work of three generations of Kora players. Yeah. So the people that influenced Tumani and also Tumani's son and, and Tumani and Balake in the middle. So it's very unique, this instrumental thing. You know, most Ngoni recordings, the Ngoni is accompanying singing. So I would love to do that. I messed around with this like... I messed around a little bit with, with those kind of sounds, yeah. but it's, I haven't done it with the same kind of focus. Um, yeah, I, but other than, other than the choral music, you know, I play a lot of Bach. Mm-hmm. And my, my thing is to inform my Bach playing with, with the practice, with, with the type of playing that I've learned from the griots. So to oh, understand right. that Bach, because, you know, we don't know how Bach played. We have no idea. No. You know, imagine, I always say, imagine 300 years from now, you, find, you, you read a review that someone found in a newspaper about a Keith Jarrett concert, and you get, you get a transcription of the Cologne concert. And then you try to reconstruct what jazz sounded like, you know, and no one's been playing this, those instruments for hundreds of years and in a whole concept of music. And you're never going to come up with the same thing. And that's what Bach is. And of course, the classical, classical musicians have totally co-opted this as their tradition, yep. which is complete nonsense. You know, I mean, you're probably better off, as Andreas will tell you, you're probably better off studying Norwegian fiddle music if you want to understand what Bach's about. Probably, yeah. yeah. Because you're talking about a living, breathing tradition that has roots in dance, has roots in folk, you know. And you know, yeah. so, so I, you know, I've done it through, how would, you know, how would Tumani play a piece by Bach? And also just how would I play it? Because now I play like that. So, oh, yeah, because you feel that that has become like your... Yeah, it's my way of playing. playing. Yeah. So if I play, if I play something... If I play something that maybe a guitarist would play emphatically, you know, <laughs> with an idea of the of the rhythms as they're written, but you know that's someone who's 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 reading an English book, having never heard English, but reading it phonetically, you know. But if you if you knew if you spoke the language, we don't know how he spoke, but if I. and then I've also changed the tuning how I play back I'm using I've, I've got a whole system of uh, tuning oh, um, to be able to get a wide variety of keys with the same open yeah. um, f- first position you know playing resonant playing yeah. so I, I, I've expanded uh, the shift that you have from the from standard tuning to lute tuning, when the major third between G and B mm-hmm. moves between D and F sharp, I continue that down, so you end up with four or five tunings oh, for things. Yeah. So you have like a D major tuning, which is the lute tuning, so the D and the F sharp, and then you have an A major tuning, the A and the C sharp, also with the F sharp still there, and then an E major tuning, the A with the E in the bass, obviously, and then G sharp, and 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 up. So the major third is moving in the guitar. In the in the lute tuning, it's right in the center, uh, yeah, which is why true. it's such a wonderful tuning. Yeah. But then you can take it down, you know, one string. So then it'll be between the fourth and fourth and fifth string, and then between the sixth and sixth and fifth string. Yeah, <laughs> well, and that allows really you to get a whole range of tuning. So to show you, like this is this is lute tuning now. So now my my major third is here between D and. F sharp, and obviously we're transposing because I've got a capo. Yeah. Um, so if I take my D string down a semitone, and if I take my A string down a semitone, then I have this tuning. Ah. So now you have B minor bar, but all all out of tune. If you heard that in normal, like what a what a classical guitarist would do. (laughs) 
different. So. Yeah, and it uh, doesn't have the same like. Uh, it's not that fluent. It's not that fluent and resonant. Yeah, no. uh, yeah. Especially in that. I mean, the Chacon is a great example. This piece, you know, the famous. Yeah, yeah. So this is how guitarists have always played it in D minor standard tuning. Yeah. Now, if you take flute tuning and you pop your cap on the third fret, your your D minor is one string and two open. Two zero zero. Yeah. So. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. That's really cool. But, <laughs> so the, but um, you think you're gonna uh, record? Are you like planning on doing like a Bach album? Or yeah, it's stuff finished. Like that? It's finished. Yeah, I finished. So I did a Bach album in 2009, which was standard tuning and yeah. not, not where I wanted to go. So <laughs> now, and I I did again one when I did Libraries on Fire. I, the same day I did a Bach album, but I wasn't happy with it, and it was because I still was using standard tuning. Um, and the resonance was completely different. And I was recording exactly the same space, same microphone, same day. Mm -hmm. But it was thin. It sounded like a steel string guitar. Yeah. And, and the, the chora music just sounded really open and amazing. So that really convinced me that I had to go back and learn all these complicated pieces and new tunings. So that's when I started um, developing this tuning thing. So in February, I think, of this year, January, I recorded the first Sonata and Partita. By, by Bach, the original was sort of violin. And that's going to come out in February next year, I think. Nice. Um, slowly but surely. But is that the whole tuning thing? Is that like, a, is there anyone else doing that? Or do you think you have just kind of like. <laughs> I don't think anyone's doing that particular tuning. I mean, I'm sure there are people who are using those tunings individually. I don't know how they think about it. I know classical guitarists aren't they never tune differently no so there's no one doing like i'm playing lute pieces on a classical guitar or that's not like a they do it but they do it in standard tuning yeah, yeah, like yeah. classical guitar yeah and maybe oh. they'll do the lute tuning they'll they'll tune the g string to f sharp but the other tunings i don't think okay that people are doing but who knows there's all <laughs> sorts of crazy people out there doing it weird things. it is yeah but uh how is uh, like South African guitar traditions do you have any is, is there like a, a guitar tradition or do you have like a, an own thing I learned I learned from a wonderful guitarist called uh, Nifa van der Skeef who was a was a rock guitarist uh, in the 60s in the tradition of like there was a big thing of cover bands mm -hmm. in Cape Town especially in the Cape Flats area which um, which which was kind of what District Six became this this, this wild um, you know widely spread group of people, very musical but now then totally killed you know creatively when when District Six was was bulldozed and everyone was moved out to different areas around Cape Town so there's a bunch of cover bands came up and basically they would listen to the radio learn the songs and they would play them in the clubs so he started in that but he met a guitarist. Uh, um, classical guitarist who taught him and of course he became you know much better than her very very quickly and he was a very special wonderful musician and who really understood you know the soul of the guitar so to speak and uh, so I studied with him um, but it was difficult it was a difficult uh, apprenticeship because he was a, quite a troubled character especially at that time and and wasn't playing even and it was a lot of chaos so then I traveled a lot and learned with with different people for short periods of time so I would go for two weeks, learn three things, and then go home and you know apply them for a year. Nice. And, and that's and that was actually a really it turned out to be a really interesting way, even though I found it very frustrating at the time. It was a really great way to learn because you just you know you really had to you really had to just take in what you got and then make it work. Um, what was the question? No, <laughs> <laughs> no. My question was kind of if there's like if there uh, is. Uh, uh, Oh, tradition. Like so, a tradition so, yeah. in, in Norway, yeah. we, we don't really yeah. have no, that no. kind of like a particular guitar yeah. tradition. Yeah, Cape Town is, I mean, South Africa is just, you know, I mean, it's been really killed music, you know. I mean, you can't, you can't submit a people to that amount of trauma and separation and, you know, and still have a living, breathing musical tradition, you know. 
So we have these kind of limping remnants yeah. of, of, of traditions and, and classical guitar is part of, you know, the kind of attempt to represent classical music, you know, in, in the colony. Yeah. And, and we still have an orchestra largely run and played and populated by Russian musicians. Okay. And, you know, so I, that's, that, you know, that's like any colonial country, you have an orchestra still and people played classical guitar. And it's very, was very divorced from anything that was, you know, from there and grown up there. What was amazing about Nifa is that he was connected to that through being part of the, um, the, the group that... Uh, had a carnival every year called, um, and they they played this music called guma, mm-hmm. and and that was the roots of Cape jazz. So Mifa was part of that. He he used, he was one of the directors for the choirs. They had these Cape Malay choirs that that sing um, around New Year, and there's there's a whole thing going on there. So he was connected to that, but mostly he just understood the guitar, and I think that's what he taught me was that you know the like Segovia said, you know, the soul of the guitar is, is a song, you know, whatever. There was that whole, like, cheesy <laughs> poem. Uh, so, that, you know, he told me that, like, you just transcend everything and you just work out what the guitar does. And I yeah. argued with him for years about that, and then I had to admit that he was right, you know. I said, no, the music is important, and you've got to make the guitar work for the music. But really, it's the other way around, you know. You've got to find out what your guitar can do with the music. And if that means you leave out half the piece yeah. um, and play half the tempo and only play the first melody. That's what the guitar can say about it. And that's how you can make a version of a piece that was for piano on guitar and actually make it work. Yeah. In a way that people want to listen to. It's not like it's a bad copy or something. Oh, that's a really good philosophy, though. Yeah, it helps. <laughs> yeah, it helps if you're playing music, like the choral music, you know. So, yeah. So you end up with something that's successful in its own right because it really it brings out the resources of the guitar in, yeah. you know, in, in the way that you want it. It's not like, oh, that's very nice. Wow, cool, nice trick, but hey, nice to better, you know, it works on the Cora way better. <laughs> but do the Cora style that you have been kind of like applied for your own uh, uh, guitar, then you have the bass tones and then you have like a, a kind of pattern and then it's a like improvisation on top of that, which for most of us other normal people seems like three things <laughs> done by two hands but do have yeah. you have you studied other stuff like that like the uh, like ragtime guitar players or like no. this and not any of the no i'm really I, 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 and stuff for i played classical guitar really and and that's what i did on guitar mostly. yeah i i didn't i didn't do other stuff like that but the, the so the jarabi is a great uh, piece to demonstrate how it works you have a combengo which is the it's called the legs of mm-hmm. the piece mm-hmm. and that's the simplest version of that is like this it's even nicer if the guitar's in tune <laughs> yeah. but that's the bass of the whole now already that sounds like this and with the accompaniment but yeah. really for a guitar it's, it's one two three one two three one two one two three one with a swing mm-hmm. and shortening the bass Then you have variations of, of this accompaniment. So w- w- increased, uh, you know, patterns, changed patterns in the right hand. So you could do. And then you could add a finger. patterns become less repetitive and more complex like like if I took that yeah and then I could expand that to many cycles and a whole bunch of themes and you can leave them you can leave them for a while and that's how it develops cool but uh, the three the trick in the beginning is that to kind of like just sit and do the 
the basic the patterns. Base pattern. yeah. So on my website, DerekGrupper.com, you will find um, a Jarabi Cycles for Beginners under the learning guitar learning part. And you can download that and it has about seven of the combangos that mm -hmm. you can learn. And then there's another score which is theme introduction to themes where you can learn some of the basic that's it that theme mm. once you have three combangos in that theme you have something you can start with one something you know and then you just keep building that and then there's the full score as well which is a, trans a transcription of what Tumani is doing where you actually have like you know an entire uh, thing and then a linear piece for people who want like an actual linear piece but what that linear piece is is really you know a, a modular you know construction of all these different parts and I don't even know the, the order that's in that score myself you know because okay, no, no, no. I, I just do different things with it but, uh, and that's the whole idea, right? The, the same as Diabat is doing, that they, they play uh, these themes or the song doesn't sound the same as... Every time, no. Every time, no. No, I mean, Tumari, I think his approach is slightly different in that he is, you know, he's keeping the bass line. He's doing it a bit more separate and able to hold that, I think. But it's, it's patterns that are in your fingers. Mm -hmm. You know, you know how the patterns work in Ragtime yeah, or something, yeah. and you listen to it and you think, wow, like Tommy Emmanuel, you listen to him and you think, wow, how is he keeping that bass line with the thing? But you're keeping a it's pattern. In his, and yeah. the pattern, and then what you can emphasize, you know, so, you know, I can play this like... And then it doesn't sound like anything but an arpeggio. But as soon as I go... Maybe emphasize that or bring that down, then suddenly you really have something. So that's the trick is nuance, emphasis, and you know, and that that's how you turn something that's actually a monochromatic pattern into multiple voices. And also, you know you, you, you're treating the note a bit so that it brings the mind, oh, that's something, as opposed to that note. Yeah. that's something else that's so it's little tricks that the mind then follows and as soon as you've captured the mind in the bass with that short thing you don't have to make it short anymore because the mind has already separated that and it's magic yeah. you know oh that's super cool <laughs> do you play any uh, do you play any electric guitar still? I did a collaboration with a musician called Felix LeBand last year he's an electronic musician mm -hmm. Wonderful South African, um, great, great musician. He's recorded a bunch of albums over the last 20 or so years. We did a collaboration for the Cape Town International Jazz Festival and I played electric telly for that uh, in the kind of Ali Farkature oh, yeah. style. Yeah. But other than that, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't played electric for either. It messes up your nails. It does, yeah, because you use your, you use yeah. your nails as well. Yeah, well, Debashish introduced me to the finger picks now <laughs> so yeah i was okay okay you're good. <laughs> that's interesting but have you uh, worked uh, like around i guess that's kind of like a uh, quite popular thing in in uh, in norway though the whole um at least uh, the guys after ali farcutre all the mm -hmm. like the bombino and the tina yeah. yeah. and all this yeah, which is kind of called the guitar god thing, yeah, yeah. there's a uh, blues stuff is is that like uh, and also there's quite a lot of DJs playing like uh, uh, like guitar boys like Victor Wifels things and stuff okay. like that. Uh, but uh, uh, did you grow up like listening to those kind of things or was that like a did, uh, did you listen to like West African guitar music in South not Africa much. when you grew up? No, no, no. I only came. I, I first heard West African music visiting my dad in London. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because there you got a much bigger West African community, and yes, um, he was sharing a house with a Senegalese guy, and so introduced to the, the, that music, and I and I and I think he took me to a Baba Mal concert. I mean, uh, Salif Keita concert oh, yeah. in Cape Town. Yeah. So that's that's how I first heard that music, and then got into that music all you know through listening to Khaled and Indian music, and you know starting to like later on when I was nineteen or so, and I exhausted Led Zeppelin. Not that you can. <laughs> um, you can actually it's, it's possible <laughs> probably Led Zeppelin as well took me in there you know when they did because that was around the time when they did the, that acoustic 
yeah. orchestral Egyptian thing, and that you know, so it came from from Zep into into all these other things. I was listening, yeah, that's what I was listening to mostly. Nice. Yeah. Just discovered like the West African rock, like the psychedelic rock thing that happened in the seventies, which is really really nice as well. Yeah, it's amazing I'm, music. Yeah, it is. Amazing, there's lots of amazing stuff. <laughs> That's nice. But also, you uh, you uh, talk about the uh, the Indian stuff. Just mm. ask real quick about that. Was that the, did you play the violin then when you uh, studied in India? Yeah. Or I went to India with my violin, viola, mm-hmm. to study carnatic violin, and I realized, okay, these guys have got violins totally sorted. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to become a guitar player. <laughs> okay, so you quit after. Yeah, that was basically the definitive moment. I went home and I was like, okay, I'm going to learn to play guitar because these guys can't play guitar. I didn't know about Debashish. Yeah. But, so otherwise I wouldn't have bothered with guitar either. <laughs> yeah, because I have some friends that went to India to yeah. do like lessons and stuff. But um, everyone says the same thing when you you come back. You've been there for three weeks and you learn like one phrase. Yeah, yeah. Or you... <laughs> and, then, and then you kind of talk to tabla players or they or and they they have to sing for I don't know how many years before yeah, they're allowed to play so I guess that's a whole nother a whole devotion other thing. to yeah I learned a lot play. from I was I was there for about a year altogether okay and six I did like a few months period where I studied the rhythmic theory and that was great because it got me understanding rhythm as a series of syllables Rather than you know, yeah, not in measures, but yeah, in, yeah. not like subdividing a beat, yeah, but actually being able to go, you know, and be able to break that. And I think that's what made this music easier for me to play because I understand rhythm like that. Mm-hmm. Like Jarabi, I understand it as three three two. Yeah. Whereas a classic, like I've given it to classical guitarists who wanted notated two 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 with yeah. emphasis off the beat. You know, they need to be able to see the beat, and for them to have three three two one two three one, two, you know, one two. It doesn't make sense to them. Yeah, but so yeah. Again, it's the same as the tunings. It makes so much more sense to just think in phrases than in yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's the whole Indian thing. How is it possible to learn like long, long, yeah, half an hour lines? Amazing. Think in phrases. Yeah. So they they really yeah. <laughs> but how many uh, you recorded how many solo albums uh, from the uh, you have four solo like, albums so the solo first one albums. is the first one was on the eighth string Blom Durance and then I made one called I had a break of a few years and then yeah. I made one called Ayo and then Kai Kai was the third one oh yeah and then Sound of Water was the one with Gismonti and me and then then there was One Night on Earth the, the the first Cora one and then Libraries on Fire which was the next Cora one that I made last year yeah um, and then in between there I did the collaborations so I did the tabla one it was called Rising um, with Uday Mazumdar an incredible tabla player who lived with Ravi Shankar for 10 years and yeah wow it was, and we did a live live recording and then we have another recording that we recorded in Germany which we've never released but I'd love to do that sometime <laughs> nice and, and then I did the trio, the trio album, Sartreflay, and then the string quartet one before. And then I did this project called Cassette Local, which was eight guitars. Um, oh. It's, and I, I created this whole compositional thing and, like, and made a sound installation, which was performed as eight speakers in Sweden. And, and that was, yeah, that was for eight guitars um, with my ten strings. It's the only project I did with the ten strings. Okay, yeah. nice. And then there's an album called uh, Mali in... In oh, and Mali and Oak is something is that, that like I a... didn't release, it, but it was released by Shakespeare's Globe in London. Oh, yeah. And that's a collaration with the chorus player from yeah. there, We played, um, I, was, I was asked in 2013 to play with John Williams in the Globe Theatre, and they invited a chorus player so that people would know what I was doing, because they, they assumed that people wouldn't know chorus. Oh, okay. So John and I and, um, and John Etheridge did a trio night where I played solo in the first half and then they played their duo and then we played trio at the end. And then the next night or night before, um, Tunde and I did a duo where each played solo and then we played duo. And then the next year, John and I did duets together. Um, I wrote a whole <coughs> lot of duets for, for him um, with a guitarist called Riza Kota from Cape Town. And, 
um, so we played those duets and Tunde and I did another concert together and then we went into the Globe after the gig and we did the recording. So we'd only played together those three times. Oh, you know, okay, we didn't, yeah. you know, But we were playing similar repertoire, of course. Tunde is a born in London but studied in the Gambia. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's that, Miley and Oak. But the John Williams thing is quite... Uh, I guess that's a big thing in the <laughs> in the guitar world, though. Yeah, that was crazy. I mean, How is he like? John is amazing. You, he's he's a. You got to, to know him very well. Yeah, very well. Actually, I'm gonna go stay with him now. My when I go back to to England now, and yeah, I see him when I visit, and and he he's really inspiring, and he's he's got such a he's such a great guitar geek. Yeah, <laughs> and he has such a joy and interest in guitar. You know, he'll he'll interrupt a perfectly nice conversation to ask you what kind of strings you use. You know. And he has amazing. He's he's an incredible guitarist. And you know, it, it, every time that I and we've played three, we've played three kind of series together, probably four concerts. Um, and every time you're backstage and he's doing his solo, and suddenly you realize, oh my gosh, that's John Williams. You know, and there's this there's this specific. <laughs> sound and ambiance yeah that a guy who's been playing concerts for 70 years has you yeah. know or 60 years or whatever it is yeah and wow. it's really incredible and great to play with him and he's he's really he's great you know and he's very been very supportive of, of i'm excited about what i'm doing on guitar yeah. wow that's that's really really quite something yeah <laughs> You know, interesting I, as well because you know I listened. To, I never saw John live until I played with him. So it was. It, oh really? Yeah. Was, yeah, they'd never been to South Africa. You know, so yeah, it's an interesting way to sort of exit the periphery of the guitar world and kind of you know interact with him. So. Wow, that's cool. I only got one more thing that I meant to ask you, uh, and that was yeah. You uh, have <laughs> you uh, you play the chorus yourself. Uh, have, have you worked any of that, or do you have, do you have a core? Yeah, so I, I think in the 2010 maybe, I decided I really wanted to play this music now, like, mm. I, and I didn't, I couldn't play it on guitar. I remember I bought Tumani's album from 2009. He finally, 20 years later, recorded a new solo album. Yeah. And I remember sitting in my kitchen with a stereo trying to play this one. which I thought was nice and simple, you know, and then... But I couldn't really. I could make a sort of thing, but it wasn't, you know, it didn't work. And of course, it's like listening to Glenn Golden saying, I can work this out, yeah, you know, which you can't, you know, because... So I didn't... And so then I thought, I've got to get a chorus. And so my, I, um, my cousin brought me one from Brighton. Mm-hmm. It's a nice roundabout way to get a chorus back to Southern Africa. <laughs> yeah. And so I played it relig- like nonstop for six months. I was totally obsessed. And then one night I was sitting on, in, in my room and I was just improvising. And I was like, oh my God, this is totally what I've always wanted to be doing. Like I was, I was doing it. I was making the music I wanted to make. And the next day I couldn't make it again. And then I didn't play it ever again. I just stopped. And, and, that's, and about a year after that, I worked out how to transcribe it to guitar and made that. To never... Yeah. So I haven't touched the Cora again. And actually, I lent it to someone and they moved and gave it away. And so it's gone. <laughs> and if you're listening, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and you can say because there's like a fan that person will listen to this Norwegian podcast. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, um, oh, yeah, I'll, I can I'll send spam them with the link. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much thank you. for uh, joining me on this. It was thank, thank an you for absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thank okay. You. Great stuff. Cool. Ciao. Thanks. All right. Det var dagens episode med fantastiske Dirk Gripper. Nästa vecka kommer det mer podcast. Den episoden här, den är er lagd i samarbete med Vintage Guitar som ligger i Torgata i Oslo och så är uh, er det sån att uh, du vill höra en teaser på nästa veckas episode så kommer det på hver tisdag på musiknyheter.no check ut den sidan. Vi uh, snackar snart. Ha det.
producerat av Rubicon. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.